Well, good morning. Welcome, you guys made it, even in spite of the cold, you're awesome, so glad to have you here, warming up our building together, it's great that you're here this morning, I'm of course I'm Pastor Aaron, and uh, I would love to have you guys, since you are here, before I get into the message, if you wouldn't mind, take out your connection card, which is inside your bulletin, which was given to you uh, this morning as you came in, it has a place to take wonderful notes, and fill out that green connection card, and we're going to drop that in the offering basket at the end of the message, but it's also throughout the message, so if you have any prayer requests, please write them on the back. Uh, so that we could be praying for you this week. And uh, if you're our guest with us this morning, special welcome to you. Um, boy, you picked a great morning to be here. We're going to talk about the 23rd Psalm. should be great. Uh, you can fill out whatever you feel comfortable filling out in that. And at the end of the message, just to drop that in the offering basket with everyone else. As you do that, I had a profound thought this week. Uh, as I was, uh, I got to go down and visit uh, some people in the hospital down in the valley. And, uh, and so I stopped briefly for, I like Chinese food. I don't know if you like Chinese food, but we don't have very much here. So I stopped and had Chinese food, and as I was eating it, I felt so satisfied. It was so good, and then I left, and about 20 minutes later, I was hungry again. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> and it dawned on me that life is like Chinese food. <laughs> like, that's what this world is, right? It's wonderful. There's all kinds of great things out there, and at times, we feel satiated, but it never really fills us. I think that's why, like, was it Mick Jagger singing that song, da-da-da, and I'll get no satisfaction, right? That's, uh, and that resonates with people. And I think that's why we find so many crazy things in our world where, where people do such silly things. I, you know, the, the, the theft and the, and the murder and the adultery and all these other things, but also just the workaholism and the, uh, we sacrifice our bodies in order to get what we think of money, if that's going to satisfy, or they sacrifice money in order to get pleasure to think that might satisfy. But really, the people who even have all of those things Oftentimes, even if you were a rock star, can say, I don't get no satisfaction. But you didn't come here for bad news, because God has something much better than Chinese takeout for you. Right? There is something much better that we can actually find satisfaction, and is also, the secret to it, ironically enough, is also found in a song. It's, it's the 23rd Psalm, and that's what we're going to be going to this morning. But before we do, our anchor verse for the series that reminds us that that psalm, that truth, is not just for the past, but it is even for today. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And I want you to really hear that. What we're going to be talking about today is not just some old-fashioned truth that's out there, but a present reality that has the ability to transform us in our own lives. And so we can live a world life that's not constantly seeking after some type of satisfaction from the outside, but one that lives a, a life full of satisfaction, uh, contentment, and joy. And that's something I think we all want. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn them to the Psalm 23. And uh, if you have, I love Psalms because the easiest book in the Bible to find, you just got to open up in the middle and there they go. And you just turn back to 23. And this is by far the most popular Psalm in all of scripture. It's quoted pretty much at most funerals, almost all of them, um, and, uh, but also other places. And I think there's something beautiful about this psalm. Whereas last week, we were Psalm 8 was kind of more that driving beat, that, that work song, you know, where they're out in the, the, the wine press and they're saying, you know, how majestic is God's name and all the earth and all this. This is more of a ballad, and it's beautiful. And it's a psalm by David, and it's important that we get that. In fact, the scripture makes a point to, to say this psalm is by David. And it helps us understand a little about it because Scripture does talk a little about David's life. It's one of the few people in all of humanity that has his biography mostly written in Scripture for us. 
And when we see David, David started his life as a shepherd, ended his life as a king, of which you're going to see elements of that in this particular psalm. Now, when I was younger and I came across this psalm, I thought it was like little David lying out on the fields, just musing about how good God is. But as I've read this psalm and I've contemplated it, I have to agree with many others who have come before me and say, no, I think the evidence of the psalm uh, really reveals a maturity and a depth. This is not from a young person who hasn't experienced the harshness and the difficulties of life. This is not a psalm from the theoretical, this is what God could be like, but from the experience of, of this is who my God is in all the stages of life. And it has three major movements in this psalm. Right? There's three scenes that it takes us to. And the very first theme comes into it, so it's the fields. This is where the shepherds are. Right? This is the fields of David's youth as he was a shepherd boy amongst the sheep. And it starts with the first verse that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now you'll notice the Lord is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D. We talked about that yesterday, or last week. Well, maybe yesterday too. But if you're still talking about my sermon last week, God bless you. <laughs> capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the name of God. Not Adonai, the, the role that he plays as, as master, but Yahweh that Yahweh is my shepherd. God himself is my shepherd. And we look at that, that we don't just have God. It matters who our shepherd is, right? But also that God is something very significant for us. He's not just an Adonai. He's not just a powerful uh, being that has the ability to tell us what to do. He's not just a master. But here, the psalmist, David, goes and says, you know, my experience with God is very similar to what I was doing when I was younger. He's a shepherd. And shepherds have a very significant role in, in the economy. They had to raise the sheep that would be feed the people, but also would bring the, land, uh, the wool and all those types of things, but also for the sacrifice. It's an important job. But it was a hard job because you don't get weekends off with sheep, right? You get a sab Sabbath. I mean, I don't know what they did with them on that day. Like, good luck. But, uh, but they, that's hard work. Why? Because sheep are stupid, and, right? They're, they're not necessarily that ferocious or things, so, but they just get themselves in all kinds of trouble, right? They fall along, they do things, and, and they're pretty defenseless, right? And they need a lot of care. And so a shepherd's job is not to just make the sheep go do things. They have to compassionately care for the sheep and take responsibility over them. In fact, the shepherds in the Middle East at the time of David, and even now if you go there, most shepherds would be able to know the name of each sheep. So that way if they would get to a watering trough, and they would get together, and the sheep all got mixed together with other shepherd sheep, they could call their sheep out of that, and they would separate them perfectly, and the shepherd would know the sheep, and the sheep would know the shepherd's voice and would be able to come. And the reason the sheep would come to them is because the shepherd's so kind and compassionate, would care for them, make sure that they're safe, make sure that, that the sheep had everything they need. In fact, if a sheep got in trouble, the shepherd would go out to protect, would, to save them. I mean, this is an important role. And what we find here is David says that God is very much the same way for us, right? That's how he treats us. And the effect of that, get this, I lack nothing. That's satisfaction. This is what Mick Jagger and all the others in the world have never been able to find. That, that satisfaction has way less to do with what I can get, but, then, but who is shepherding me? And with the Lord being a shepherd, 
I have deep, true satisfaction. But then we ask, what does that mean? Well, the psalmist continues the song. David continues the song and, and shows us. He says, this is one way that I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. What rest, what satisfaction there. Now, green pastures, you know, we think about the lushness or a place to, to go and to eat. And, of course, in the Middle East, they don't get a lot of rain. And so oftentimes they talk about green pastures kind of like these hills that to us kind of look like our hills here. They're kind of bare in a little bit, and maybe a little bit of grass in between, and there's little paths that go between so that the sheep can eat all the different grasses that goes through. But several times a year, it will rain. And everything is lush and just beautifully green, and the, the food is just plentiful. And I love how it says here, he doesn't just lead me to the green pasture, but to green pastures. That in times that look lean and in times that are, are full of abundance, my God makes sure that my needs are met. And he leads me there to where I will find what I need to have my soul refreshed. Your God is not leading you to your destruction. You know that? Now he leads you to green pastures, but that's not enough. He also leads me beside quiet waters. And actually, the Hebrew there is more like by stilled waters. And I thought this was fascinating in my research for this. Do you know that sheep don't like drinking from living water, from like moving streams? I don't know why. It freaks them out. So what shepherds would do is they would either go and hand drink all of the, or they put a little cup in the water or something like that, and they would have the sheep drink out of their hands, or the industrious ones, the smarter ones, would dam up the water just a little bit or find somewhere where it's kind of quieted. So the sheep will be able to go and to drink and to be satiated so that way they can go lie down. And sheep won't lie down until they've eaten and drink. That's like that's, until they have that, they're going to be antsy, they're going to wander around, and then they get into all kinds of trouble. And aren't we like sheep? Until our soul finds rest, until we're, we're satiated, until we've had everything that we feel like we need, we're just constantly going around and we get into all kinds of trouble. But our God doesn't lead us to that. He gets down quietly, gently, and quiets the waters so that we can drink deeply. He gives us a safe place of rest after he's been satiated so that we can be satisfied. How different is our God than the gods of other religions who just wring people out? What do you have to offer me? Bring me another sacrifice. Keep doing, doing, doing. Keep serving me. Keep, I'll never have enough, and therefore you're going to have to just keep doing it. And hopefully, at the end, then I'll say that it was good enough for you. But our God is different. He gives us a refreshment that is so deep, it actually goes all the way down into our very soul. This is the effect of having a great shepherd. And as we go on to the next thing, he says, he also guides me along right paths for his namesake. Now, right paths, the word there literally means rut because Hebrew is a funny language. It's, a, it's very, very literal, right? It, it, they didn't have a lot of concepts like love. In fact, the word for love in Hebrew, one of those is that it makes you have an upset stomach, <laughs> Right? I mean, there's a lot of funny things in the Hebrew language as to, they describe these deeper concepts with something that is very, very literal. And here, right paths just means well-worn rut. 
This is the way that, that the path has just been. It's just not new things, and it leads to the right place. For example, if you want to get to Lyons, there's a well-run road that goes right down to it. Now, you can make your own path and bushwhack if you want, but chances are you aren't going to get there. There is a way to the right places, and you want to take the right path, and it says here, these are going to be the ruts. These are going to be the things that are, are so well established. Right? It's truth. It's deep theology, orthodoxy. These are the things that our shepherd leads us to. Not some newfangled, crazy ideas out there where you're going to bushwhack and find a whole new way. And yet, how ready are we as sheep to wander off the right paths. We always have itchy ears that want to have somebody new innovate theology, give us some new doctrine out there that gives us a shortcut, and we bushwhack our way into deep trouble. But the Lord will never lead you down those paths. He leads you down the right path, the well-worn way of truth that leads to the right place. It's also talked about as the righteousness. Like These are the right paths, not just they get you the right place, but they're the right path because God in his sovereignty said these are good. And God is going to lead you down good paths. Now, just because he leads you down the good paths doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But he's going to lead you down the right path. In 20, verse 4 he says then, here's a dark place that sometimes those paths go through. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, other translations say the valley of the shadow of death, which is why this is typically read during uh, funerals. And that's true, or death's dark valley, you've heard say that. The idea is this, dark and scary places, which clearly also includes death, right? That God is anything the unknown, anything that is scary, anything that is hard, that your shepherd will not abandon you in that but he's going to be with you. In fact, the fact that he is with us is where we get comfort. It's kind of like going down the canyon. Some of you are afraid of heights. That's a death's dark valley for you. But if you want to get to the bright and shiny city of Boulder or Fort Collins or something, you've got to go through it. Now, the cool thing about canyons is they go somewhere. I would hate to just go into, it's not like he leads us into the, the, the huge the pit of darkness where you would rest. This is not where green pastures are. That valleys take us somewhere. There is only one reason people go up and down that street. It's because they don't stay there. It's the same thing with the dark path. The right paths sometimes take us through difficult things in life. The scripture teaches us that's for our benefit, but it's still he's working all things together, together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. So, so in the walk of our lives, yes, we will go through scary paths, but here's the thing. You never walk them alone, not if you have the right shepherd. Now, many other shepherds in this world abandon their sheep in the midst of it. As soon as it gets dark and scary, they're out. But our shepherd is with us. Through the darkest of times, the scariest of times, the the hardest of times, he's there. In fact, when David was shepherding his sheep, you know, sheep don't have very good eyesight. Kind of like people, we don't see very far in advance in our lives. We just see what we have. And as they go through these scary valleys, they would listen to the shepherd's voice who would lead them, not drive them through the valley from the very front. And as long as they could hear the shepherd and he would look back and make sure that they made their way through, 
Right? They had comfort. They would be able to make it around and, and through that difficult blind into the green pastures that lay in front of them. That we have a God. Now, our God is also well-equipped. And I have some props so that way you could see the tools that a shepherd would have. He said his rod and his staff, they comfort him. And I thought, well, aren't those the same thing? Because in my mind, if I get hit by a rod, it's going to be a long stick. And if I have a staff, it's going to be a long stick. And so Donatello, the King's Mutiny Generals, he has a staff and it's a stick. And, and I thought, well, that's the same thing as a rod. So what's the difference? Well, this would be more like a rod. Uh, this is actually Ukrainian gavel, but very similar to what a rod would be. It's, is a, uh, it's a club that would be used to ward off things like wolves and bad guys and all kinds of things. It does bring a little bit more uh, emphasis when it says spare the rod, spoil the child. I would never hit Thomas with this, it, <laughs> right? That, but our God will hit the enemy with things that hurt. He is not a weakling. And your God is there to protect you. And his vengeance and his power and his protection are very, very real. And God's violence is something that should be feared. And God is protecting you. He is your shepherd. And he is not about to let the wolves come and tear apart his sheep. He will destroy them viciously. That's what a good shepherd does. A rod brings me comfort because I know that my God is for me and more than I will ever be for him. And the very power of the Almighty is protecting my spirit and my soul for my sanctification, for my goodness, not because I've done anything or deserve it, because for his name's sake, because he is good. But I'm glad that he doesn't just have a rod. So many of us including me when I was younger as a Christian, thought this was the only tool that God carried. You got off track, whack, I shall smite thee, bam! And I just kept waiting for it. If I would do something bad, bonk, I'm going to get the rod of God. But the shepherd never uses the rod on his sheep. Never. No, the shepherd uses something much, much different. He uses a staff. And the staff is used to be gentle. The staff, you could take a wayward sheep and gently bring them on back. You can guide the sheep gently. You would never hit a sheep with a staff, by the way. It would break. But also, it's got a nice walking stick for them. It's a good thing. But it's there to gently nudge, to guide. That's what the staff is all about. In fact, at the evening, when they would go into the pen... The shepherd would put the staff low and have it so only one sheep at a time could come through so he could check each individual sheep underneath the staff to make sure that they didn't have any illness or sickness or any injuries. So if they did, he would anoint them with oil and take care of them. The staff is, a, is an instrument of mercy. It, it gently guides. And this is what God uses on us. There are some times that we get off path and God's like, poop, this way. Sometimes we're not moving. He's like, come on. Pop, 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 pop. But he's not there whacking you when you get off the path. The Lord is your shepherd. And he has a rod and a staff for a reason, and that's what we have comfort in. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's goodness. Now, he doesn't just have this rod and the staff in there that comfort us, right? He then uh, takes us to amazing places. Like here is where we have this picture of the shepherd showing the sheep value and love and, and, and contentment and meeting their needs exactly where the sheep need the needs. Like the shepherd doesn't need the stilled waters. The shepherd doesn't need the green pastures. The sheep do. 
And that's where he takes them. The shepherd takes them on, on the right paths. He guides them in the right thing so the sheep don't even have to wonder where I have to go. They just have to follow. They find satisfaction. And now, with that beautiful understanding of God and his goodness to us, David then turns to the second part of his life, and he takes us to a royal banquet. David was a, a king, and so he would hold banquets basically every night. To eat at the king's table was a big deal. And here we find something beautiful that we're going to miss in our language because the Hebrews rhyme differently than we do. See, we rhyme like with the sounds, right? So if I say hot, then I would say a rhyme would be pot, right? And I, I think only Eminem can rhyme orange, but there's several people that are just very gifted at rhyming different things. That's how we rhyme. So we like our poems to have little rhymes at the end of them. Most of our songs have a rhyme that they sound the same. Well, the Hebrews didn't rhyme that way. I think maybe too much phlegm and everything sounded the same. I don't know why, but they came up with a different idea. They would rhyme with ideas. They would say the same thing in a different way, and that was the rhymes. It was a rhyme with an idea. And David now rhymes a shepherd with a king. It's beautiful. But the coolest thing is he takes it up a notch because, as everybody knows, kings are a little bit better as far as a career choice than a shepherd. It's a little bit higher social status. But here's the neat thing in that. We also are elevated because royal guests are a little bit better than being sheep. If I had to choose between the two, I would much rather be a royal guest. There's a little more dignity in that, isn't there? And so now he rhymes the idea, but he brings up, he intensifies the dignity of both. And so he says in this, you, and notice how he switches from the Lord, the third person, now he's to the second person, you. He talks and sings this directly to God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Look at the things that he's rhymed here. First one, guidance. That you have prepared a table for me. I'm bringing you to this table, to the place that you are going to find satisfaction. You're going to have abundance and amazing things. He's preparing that for you. And he doesn't just guide you to that, but there's also provision to where he guides. You have a table. And it's not just like an empty table. This is a royal banquet. There are all kinds of fantastic foods and anything that you as a human would want to feast on. Way better than green grass. And God brings the choicest of all the things and sets it out before us and says, I am not withholding goodness from you whatsoever. Take and eat. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Also, the cup, it runs over. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you got done with your drink and the waitress or the waiter just doesn't ever come by and your cup does not runneth over? No satisfaction there. But here, it's always topped off drink and there will always be more. You'll never reach the end of his provision and his provision is good. This is not the cheap wine. This is the highest quality. This is the best of the best. The choicest of all things he has spread out before us and with an invitation and expectation that we would partake in them. In fact, what an insult it would be to go to the king's table and say, I'm on a diet. <laughs> to go and to eat and to taste and be satisfied to the full. And so then he also has refreshment. 
a refreshment that goes to the soul, but also here he talks about anointing our head with oil. Now, obviously, a shepherd would do that for a sheep when they would come if they were injured, but in the Middle East, they didn't have all the lotion back then like we have and conditioner and whatnot. You get itchy scalp and head and face, all that kind of stuff. And oil, it's kind of expensive. But to take care of not just the internal needs, but even the external needs, to anoint your head with oil and to be refreshed from the, all the way, through and through, with, with extravagance, without counting the cost, without saying, you're not part of my family, so I'm holding this for them. To come in and say, you are welcome, and I refresh you fully. God is our royal host. And he gives us the deep satisfaction of our souls. And here's this, church, God is not holding out on you. The lie of the enemy has always been this. God is holding out on you all the way back to the Garden of Eden when they had all of paradise. And what was the lie of the enemy? God is holding out on you. If you could just eat that fruit, he knows that you're going to have all this wisdom and you're going to know right and wrong and you're going to be able to be like God. The devil's been tricking with us forever, and he tricks us all the way through. I think about when I was younger, and I would think about dating and all those types of things. I was like, well, God's ways seem so restrictive. I should be able to do more things, and culture tells me that I could be bored, promiscuous, and all those things, but God tells me I can't, and I was upset about that, as are many young people. But he's not withholding. He's not holding out on us. He's leading me down right paths. He's giving me the choicest of food. So when I got a little bit older, I got upset with the idea that I'm supposed to serve my family as my first ministry, not my career, because my family, my wife already loves me. So I should go, I could work hard and do all these other things. And I'm going to, I could set them aside and I could do all these things so I could get what I think would satisfy me. And God's holding out on me, but he's not holding out on me. In fact, I found by investing, faithfully serving my family first as my first ministry, God has given me satisfaction and has taken care of the rest. You see, in Scripture, and you will have different act things that you're going to be, feel like God's holding out on you. That's part of being human. The devil is always going to be there, and your flesh is always going to say, no, God's ways, I don't want this. I want to get off these ruts, these well-worn paths. I want to, I want to go my own way. I want to try a different table. Maybe there's better food over there. You will do it. You're going to have a, a desire within you, but I want you to hear this. Satisfaction is found at the Lord's table. Satisfaction is found along the right paths that God brings you. He is not holding out. In fact, he's bringing you the choicest of all things, and you have been welcomed there. He's prepared a place for you even now so we can trust him. And we also find in this protection. Do you see that rhyme? He brings us to dark valleys, but now he also, God, being the host, plays a clever trick on the enemies. He invites them to the banquet where he has all the power so they can sit in silence as he gives you great things. What an insult to the enemy. What an awesome point of vindication out there in the political world, which the king would know a little about being a king. And to know I could bring this person in and I can honor them, but you know what would really make them honored? I know they're political rivals, and I'm going to have them sit right across the table, and I'm going to honor this person. And they're not going to be saying anything. And you'd be sitting there having, <laughs> the king loves me, how about you? Right? What an amazing thing. He takes the power away from the devil, and he actually... He makes a mockery of them. 
And he's not just doing that in the eternal, he's doing that now. God's favor over you, how he works in your life and blesses you and cares for you, how he provides for you, is a, it's an insult to the kingdom of darkness. And every time God brings you favor, it's a reminder to the devil and all of his hordes, they pick the wrong side. And that God is providing for you and protecting you, and they just have to sit silent with mouth agape. This is God's provision. It doesn't not just by needs from the inside and the outside, but also from my very heart. He vindicates us. What an amazing God. So David has just brought it from his whole life, from the shepherd fields to the banquet table of the king. And he says, this is who my God is. But now, at the end of his life, he's looking ahead. He's been the shepherd. He's been the king. He's seen God in both. But he knows he can't stay on this earthly plane forever. So what comes next? And with joy, he looks ahead. Based upon the shepherd and the king that's for him, he takes us to the very palace of God. But this time, not as guests. That's remarkable. It says here, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He takes us to God's heavenly palace. Now, in David's time, yes, there was the tabernacle, and they would say that's the house of God. That's what they would call it. But he actually referenced something even bigger because no one stays in the house of God, the tabernacle, forever. <laughs> Right? Even the priests would have to leave after, what, 55 years old, 56? They have to retire. But he has to, he says, no, this is not just God's tent. He's taking me into his home. And who stays at a home? Family. You know what it reminds me of? Jesus, when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again to get you so that you can be where I am. He's bringing us to his own family. What a scandalous thought that God would make the sheep and the guests his own children. And this is what David clung to, the true satisfaction of soul. This, it's not just a redemption because in the Garden of Eden we weren't the children of God. That somehow, even in, in the fall, in all the things, in our betrayal and our treason against God, he brings it back around, and just like the psalm, he elevates us. We started out as the chief of his creation, and we come back, as we talked about last week, as his sons and daughters. How amazing is God? And so, it says, surely your goodness and love will follow me. Before I get there... God is not just holding out heaven and saying, I'll be good to you there. He's good to you now. And when it says surely, the better translation is only. Only goodness and mercy. When we get there, I mean, look in our lives. All the things that have happened, you're like, Aaron, I've had some harsh things happen. I've had some very difficult pain and some dark valleys. Yes, but know what it says in Scripture? That he's working those together for your good. It says that we should have pure joy whenever we face those kind of trials because you know, God is working within them and he is perfecting us so we will not lack anything. If you look in your life as a Christian, it's going to be very, very different than those who have been enemies of God and reject him their entire life. It's very, very different. As the believer, God has, he has provided a way. He has, he has curated even your suffering and your blessings for your sanctification. Only, only 
His goodness and love have followed you. Which gives us trust. Because some of you right now are in the midst of a dark valley. And God doesn't feel good and your soul don't, doesn't feel so satisfied. Well, he's leading you to green pastures. So follow him there, but stay on the right paths. But know this, even where you're at, it's only his goodness that's allowing it to happen and his only goodness is going to be the result. But it's not just goodness, it's also his love. He's doing this for you because he cares about you even more than he oftentimes cares about himself, evidenced on the cross. That if you have this kind of love, this kind of goodness in your life, then we can have trust and we can have peace. This is where we find that we have satisfaction. We, we rest in the work of God in his presence. And knowing where he's leading you, God is not leading you to destruction. You hear that. The right paths which seem so restrictive, the difficult ways, the, the rod that sometimes just that, you know, beats the enemy down, you're like, oh, or the staff that kind of gently nudges you that feels annoying at times, only goodness and mercy because he's leading you home. Where scripture says, finally, we will be at complete rest and completely satisfied. So he's taking us there. What a wonderful thing. And notice this. Did you see the elevation? You start a sheep, then you're a guest, then you're family. And how God reveals himself in our lives, first as a shepherd who guides us, cares for us, all these things, then as a host, and finally as our king and father. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. So as Christians, we say he's our Lord and our Savior, right? Lord be the host, the Savior being the shepherd, but we also have a God. Ultimately, that's where we find our greatest peace. So the Lord can be my shepherd. So with this, how do I find satisfaction? Go through it real quick. The first one, you have the right, have the right shepherd and king. If the Lord isn't your shepherd, you're going to have trouble. So my question is, who's leading you? Right? Who are you following in your life? Is it an influencer? I mean, the people on TikTok are pretty cool, but is it, you know, some author? Please don't let me be your shepherd. I'm going to be an under-shepherd, right? That's what pastor means as shepherd, but I work for the chief guy, and if I'm leading you on any other paths, right? <laughs> Not his right paths, and you've got to find a better shepherd. Who is your shepherd? Maybe it's your own desires. Maybe it's your own wants or needs. Maybe you've tried to shepherd yourself. I'm going to tell you this, just like Mick found out, Ain't no satisfaction there. The Lord is your shepherd, and that's where you're going to have no wants. So, who's leading you? Where are you looking to for your provision? Right? Who refreshes you? Where are you going for refreshment? Who protects you? What do you look to for real security? Let me invite you back to the path, to the fold of the good shepherd, and say he covers all of those things in abundance for you. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. He's not even just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He already knows you. So I encourage you, take time, get to know him, hear his voice, and follow him on those right paths. Satisfaction and joy await. Now, the second thing you need to do is stick to the right paths. Just because Jesus is our shepherd, sheep still get lost. In fact, Jesus even told a, a parable about that. You have like one sheep wanders off, and there's 99 that get it right. And he's going to be like, well, too bad for that one. No, he'll go after that one. He loves you, but let's not make Jesus go do that. There's no, the wild, off the, on the 
off the beaten path of faith, off of orthodoxy, there is only trouble. I tell you, it's, it's only trouble. There's a reason there are right paths. They've been talked about for ages, thousands of years through Scripture. If you come across anyone in a book or a TV show or, or online or, or anything that says they have some new novel theology, some great new idea, stay away. There is nothing new. These are old, worn, wonderful paths that lead us to the right place. Be wary of false teachers who promise you a shortcut or a better way around than those old ignorant people that keep taking those old worn paths. Stay away. Danger lies out there. Stick to the paths of the Lord, the right ones. Satisfaction is found in the way that God has taught us to live. We find it in Scripture. We find it if the Holy Spirit leads us. And get you this, the Holy Spirit will never lead you off-roading. He will never do it. The Lord is your shepherd. He's going to lead you along right paths. That's how he goes. So to know those paths, to know the word, and to be in a church that we walk those paths together, there is direction and security in that, but there is also satisfaction found there. And in fact, John 14, 6, Jesus actually emphasizes this. He says, I am the way, and he is the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And he answers this right before he is crucified the night before, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, guys, I'm going to go away, but don't, chill, don't worry about it, because you know the way I'm going, you know where I'm going, and Thomas, which is one of the reasons I named our son Thomas, not the only one, but one of them, I loved, he was so honest, he's like, we don't know where you're going, so how could we possibly know the way, which seems very practical, and Jesus says, I am that way, and you know me well, and if you know him, you will inevitably end up in the right place. But he's the only road in. So if you're going to stick to anything in life, stick to Jesus. Is he your Lord and is he your Savior? He can lead you to the green pastures that, you, that you're hoping for. He will still the water so that you can be refreshed. He will provide you a place for your soul to be at peace. He will set before you the choicest of all this world has to offer. Your cup will runneth over. You will find satisfaction, but ultimately, better than all those things, He's leading you home. He's leading you to his own family, to the kingdom of God, inevitably, wonderfully. And you don't have to know the whole map. You just have to know the Lord. He'll take you there. The last thing I think we need to do is to find refreshment in the right place. This is where Mick and so many others get it wrong. You could be a rock star and have all the money in the world and all the fame in the world. You could have all the health you could possibly want, and you have everything set before you like King Solomon in all of his glory and try it all out and try to find satisfaction in all of it, and you could come to the same conclusion that he and so many others have come to. There's no satisfaction here. It's all just vanity, meaningless. But if you go to that wonderful book of Ecclesiastes where King Solomon tries it all out, or you talk to those who have found satisfaction Regardless of all those other things, they'll tell you the same thing. It's all meaningless, whatever's under the sun. Whatever part of this creation, if this is what you're looking for to satisfy you, you're going to find it. Satisfaction is found in Christ. Satisfaction is found along the paths of righteousness. Satisfaction is found in the hope of where we're going. Satisfaction is found in living under the, the direction of the good shepherd. That's where satisfaction is found. And the world will say, that's too limiting. That's awful. God's holding out. No, God is not holding out on you. He's setting before you a banquet. 
So find satisfaction to where God has told you to find it. Let me give the practical things. And I've, I've counseled couples that try to find satisfaction in a partner that's not their own. Because that well-worn path didn't seem to be enough. Let me tell you that the grass is always greener wherever you think you're watering it, but it's only going to die out there. I've found people that have sacrificed relationships and family right, over this idea that I want to have justice and I'll feel satisfied and as long as I don't have to forgive that person who did this horrible thing to me and I don't have to re- reconcile the relationship or whatever. I'll just say I forgive, but I don't have to reconcile. I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you that satisfaction is not found there. Satisfaction is found along the right paths. God says, even forgive, you can love your enemies. Forgive those, bless those who persecute you. It's difficult. But we have to find satisfaction in the right place. And how do we find the right place? We look in Scripture. We say what God asks us to do. And here's the cool thing. God will let you run off road. He'll do it. He'll come after you, but he'll let you do it. But you're not going to find satisfaction there. But the moment you're ready, he'll shepherd you back. And he's not going to beat you with, with a rod. He'll gently guide you with the staff, and he'll prepare a place for you at his table. So come back. Look in the right place. Find satisfaction where Scripture tells us to. Live the life that Scripture leads you to. I promise you, you will find satisfaction there. John 14, 13, Jesus said, as he talks about this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking to this woman at a well. There's water. And they try to get satisfied every day trying to drink that water. And he says, but whoever drinks this water, like water I give them, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is no end to the satisfaction that God brings. So find it in Christ. In fact, this is a lot of things to, to, to say, well, this is God going to give you satisfaction. And you're like, well, Aaron, what's the evidence of that? Oh, I don't know, 2,000 years worth of evidence? Is that enough for you? Where we have the testimony of believers and saints from the very beginning all the way till now. Even in this room, there are those who could testify to you how they have walked through darkness and tried to find satisfaction in other things and how they've found it in the Lord. But also, all the way from the very beginning, this is the way it's always been. Not just because King David, but let's talk about even like the apostles who were there. The apostle Paul. Near, near the end of his life in his ministry, finds himself in prison, probably going to be executed, right? And he lived his life following God, following these right paths that God had sent him on. And was he in jail saying, oh, poor me. Oh, if I could just do, I wish I could have. No, this is, this is what the testimony of a very real man in a very dark valley was able to say with absolute and perfect sincerity, he writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've had both. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this who be him who gives me strength. That's what he's talking about. He has learned the secret of being content. That is satisfaction, because our souls are only at rest and we're content. Right? So here we have, what's the secret? It's not how much money you have in the bank. It's not how healthy you are. It's not how much freedom you have or how well things are going for you on the outside. All of those things are wonderful and great. There are blessings that God puts into our lives, and yes, we should enjoy them, but hear this. You're not going to find satisfaction there. Where is the secret of salvation? Where is the secret of satisfaction? Where is the secret of peace? 
in Christ Jesus, who gives you strength. And so, let the Lord be your shepherd. You shall not want. How do you apply that? On your connection card, I have some things to have to help you with that. Because we want to walk these right paths, don't we? The old ancient ways that lead to a right and a healthy good life. You know, one of the things in Scripture that's always been there is the memorization of Scripture because it helps us think about it even when we don't have our Bibles with us. So I encourage you. I even put on your connection card that little green thing. Tear it off. Remind yourself of this, that God's goodness wasn't, he wasn't just good for the Hebrews. He wasn't just good in the old biblical times. It wasn't just good for the apostles when Jesus was there. He is good for every generation, and you are one of those generations, and God's goodness is real now. As you do that, maybe now with some understanding of the Psalm, 23rd Psalm, maybe I've hopefully helped you with see something new. I know that it's been, most people have memorized it and thought about it your whole lives, but but even if there's nothing new that I would bring, I would encourage you to go back to it, to think about it, how it applies to you. Find God in the fields or find him in the banquet. Put your hope in the home that he's bringing you to. Something else you might want to do today is commit to sticking to the right paths. Maybe you right now are struggling. Maybe you found yourself off-roading and you know you're doing something that is away from the right path that God wants you to live on. This is a really good time to come back. Make that commitment. Say, you know what, I'm... I know what my heart wants me to do, but your heart's going to lead me astray. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to live my life according to the good orthodox way that has been before us for, for thousands of years and always leads to the right place. Choose and make the commitment to stick to the right path. Find your contentment there. Last thing I'm going to ask you to do here is to be refreshed in Christ. Find your refreshment in Him. It's not bad to have money or to have health or to have any of those other things. Those are, pleasures are great, but if you're looking to fulfill you, they're not. And let me encourage you, the very first thing to do, start with this. Fill yourself in the Lord. Meet with Him. Praise. Spend time in the Word. Make sure that coming to church is a big part of, of your lifestyle. Center your life on Him. You will find satisfaction there. And then those other things just become the frosting on top of the beautiful cake. So be refreshed in Christ. Of course, if you're here this morning and Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, well, let me invite you into this, that you've been separated by your sin and you're not one of his sheep and you haven't been a guest because you've been his enemy, but he invites you back. You can be saved by God's grace through putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you need to take that first step, the one that actually leads to a deep soul level rest and refreshment, that in just accept his invitation to come home. And if you have questions about that, come talk with me. I'd love to help you take those first steps of faith so that you can live a life of real, true, deep satisfaction. Hopefully all of you have something to do. It was a happy message, wasn't it? Satisfaction. I get some satisfaction. In fact, all of it is in Jesus. So let's find that today. Make your commitments. Let me pray for you as you make those commitments, and then we'll have the offering taken. So Heavenly Father, thank you. Just thank you. Uh, we worship you, and as Colin so wonderfully reminded us today, even our worship is not dependent on how good we are, but on how good you are, and you're always good. From age to age, from generation to generation, you are just good, and you are worthy of praise. So, Father God, help us as uh, your sheep. Sometimes we get wayward. Thank you for being merciful to us and to not whacking us with the rods, but guiding us with your staff, never abandoning us, keeping us on the right path. Father, help us to have a heart that follows you. Let us trust you as you lead us along right paths to beautiful pastures to a wonderful banquet. May we partake in your goodness, refresh our very spirits in you, Father, that we would not be discontent, but contented 
deeply, truly, profoundly. And Father, for those who have questions or are, are wayward now, guide them back to you mercifully and lovingly. Father, with our commitments we make today, help us to, to, to take those things and so they would help us to follow you, accept your goodness, Father, so that we would uh, bring us back to those right paths. And Father, in all these things, we pray that even though we follow you and you provide so much for us and we have everything we need because you're our shepherd, I pray, Father, that we would also be a blessing to you, that you would accept our heart, our worship, our love, uh, just as a token of our gratitude and our uh, affection for you. So these commitments, may they be part of that too, as well as our offerings too. Use them to build your kingdom for your goodness and your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.